The Living Traditions Festival is back Friday, May 17th through Sunday, May 19th at Washington Square Park in downtown Salt Lake City. You will find a global food court, live music, performances, art, workshops, Bohemian Brewery, and stuff for kids. Full disclosure, this is my favorite Salt Lake Festival. For details and to see the full program, visit livingtraditionsfestival.com or find them on Instagram and Facebook at SLC Living Trad. Here's what Salt Lake's talking about. How to wrap our heads around this legislative session. A lot of hot topic bills have caught people's attention, but this latest slew of voting bills really has my head spinning. Why would the people who always win want to make it harder to vote? Fortunately, I know who to ask. It's Tuesday, February 21st, 2023. I'm Ali Bayarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Salt Lake Tribune columnist Robert Gerke, we have seen some pretty controversial legislation right out the gate around trans health care, school vouchers. Now we're seeing some bills that you are calling anti-democratic. You've been covering the legislature for 20 years. Yeah, thanks for reminding me of that. Is this the worst it's ever been? I think this session from day one has really been the most out of control session that I've seen. Mm. And lots of people I talk to up at the Capitol have the same assessment. You know, there's a different dynamic this year. We've got a lot of first-year legislators who really are strident in their views and, you know, come from that strain of the Republican Party that follows the Donald Trump motto. This has been a really unique session. And and I wrote about these election bills because, you know, a lot of attention has been paid to the voucher bill and the anti-transgender bills, as it should be. But, you know, I think uh, sometimes, you know, these things kind of fly under the radar. So I wanted to give them a little bit of a, a little bit of airtime. Yeah, well, that is the thing about the legislature, right? Like they pass hundreds of bills and sometimes the most boring stuff can be the most interesting or the most cruel or um, the most impactful. This sort of like, I don't know, let's let's call it like a grouping of bills that you have described as anti-democratic. First of all, that's a pretty big claim, right? But one of these bills gives the county clerk the option to not do mail-in voting if they get permission from the lieutenant governor's office. There's another one that undermines gathering signatures for a candidate to get on the ballot. Where are these coming from? Well, I think if you remember the Count My Vote initiative that they were trying to expand uh, the use of primaries to nominate candidates. And the reason they were doing that is because they felt, and I felt too, and I think the data bore out at the time, that the nominating conventions that these candidates were going through didn't really represent not just the mainstream of the Republican Party, but the mainstream of Utah. And Mm -hmm. because we have such a one-party dominated state, and because we have the gerrymandered our legislative districts to the point where the primaries are sort of the deciding elections in a lot of cases. And we saw that, for example, in the gubernatorial race when Spencer Cox, you know, his big challenge was winning the Republican nomination. So Mm -hmm. there, there was this push to kind of expand the use of popular primaries and take more power away from the delegates. But the legislatures never really liked that. They've never been comfortable with it, even though polls have showed that voters do like it. And so ever since then, there's been this attempt to sort of erode that signature path to the ballot and give more power back to the delegates who, 
you know, to make the decisions on who's going to represent the party and consequently who's going to represent the state and make these decisions. And so um, they've never been able to completely undo the signature path to the ballot, but there have been incremental efforts to do it. And, and over time, they've kind of eroded some of it away, you know, but I think the record of the signature path to the ballot kind of bears out that we end up with better candidates and better results than, than the alternative. Yeah. And I think for anyone who's listening, who's new to Utah Republican politics, like these delegates, these conventions, like, I mean, I think a good example of when you point to like sort of that it's this small, small minority of people who feel really strongly. You look at someone like Senator Mitt Romney, who is by all accounts, sensibly a god in Utah, right? Mm -hmm. Who gets booed at convention. Like that just, yeah, that just doesn't feel representative of where the state is at on Senator Mitt Romney. Yeah. I mean, at last, at the last Republican convention I went to, Roger Stone made an appearance, right? This right. is, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, these are the types of people that uh, appeal to those delegate group. And so they're, there's not much debate that they're outside of the mainstream, not just outside of the mainstream politically, but there's never, you know, a cross-section gender, for example. I mean, about mm -hmm. a quarter of the delegates are women. And, you know, obviously in a, an election, you're going to have about half of the half of the voters being women. So, you know, it's right. never really been very reflective of, of Utah as a whole. Yeah. I, if I were a moderate Republican, I would not want to have to give a speech at this <laughs> Republican state convention. Like you will just get bullied. That's yeah. what's going to happen there. Indeed. So that's the signature bill. This optional mail-in voting bill is really strange to me because there was an effort to get rid of mail-in voting last year and it was tossed. Yeah. So wh why is this back on the table? Yeah. I mean, there's the, the election conspiracists, you know, kind of fueled by the the Trump machine, the idea that the election was stolen through mail-in balloting or there's discomfort in mail-in balloting had mm -hmm. pushed to get rid of it and, or at least scale it back significantly. And they haven't been able to do that. So I feel like this is sort of a middle step, you know, give mm. these counties the option if they want to do it. But I think our elections work best when we have the most people participating in them. And so, right. you know, we know based on the history of when Utah was one of the earlier states to go to mail-in balloting, you know, back in 2014, we started making that transition and we saw our, our voting turnout go from about 50% in a midterm election all the way up to, I think the last one was 75%. And that's a significant increase. That's a lot of people who are, weren't participating in the process before who now mm -hmm. are. And I think that's on a whole good. So to, to abandon this mail-in balloting that has worked well for this state, and I think by all accounts, the audits that were recently released show that it's secure and people like it. Uh, to go back from that, I think, is a mistake. And, and to take people's voice out of the process, I think, is a huge mistake. And that's why I called it an anti one of the anti-democratic election bills that are being sponsored this session. Yeah. If I had to write a tagline for this legislative session so far, I think it would be solutions in search of a problem. <laughs> and the thing about this mail-in voting bill that's so confusing to me is like, you know who loves mail-in voting? Governor Spencer Cox, right? Mm -hmm. When he was a lieutenant governor, that was his whole bag. Remember when people were mad they didn't get stickers for mail-in voting. And so he was like drawing stickers for people and sending them <laughs> out. Like he created a brand around the success of mail-in elections. Yeah. The lieutenant governor's office runs our elections. They're never going to approve an accounting not doing mail-in voting, right? Like, so what's the point? It seems really unlikely, especially because in so many of our elections, 
the districts were voting in cross-county lines. So you could have one county voting one way and one county voting another way. And that just creates chaos. And then, you know, you look at a statewide election. Are you going to have some counties that are reporting one way and and others that are reporting another way? And it just, it doesn't work. And plus, if you live in one of those in-person voting counties, you know, it's your voice is diminished because the participation of your neighbors and friends uh, isn't at the same level as those in the county next door to you. And I think we've also seen in the past that, you know, in, in the case of San Juan County in particular, they've used in-person voting to disenfranchise the Navajo population by mm-hmm. creating too few polling places and to try and make it as difficult as possible. And I think it creates the sort of pernicious opportunity to game the system. Well, we know most Utahns live in Salt Lake County, but a large swath of our state is rural, and there are people who would have to drive like three hours to vote in person. And so it wouldn't just be Navajo voters that are disenfranchised or necessarily to say likely Democratic voters that would be disenfranchised. There are people in Penguich who probably wouldn't vote because it would be a nuisance. Well, and if you have, if you, if you're one of these people who, you know, works full time or works two jobs and has kids, you know, taking that time out of your day to, we don't, we don't see voting as a big obstacle, I don't think, but there is a Mm -hmm. time cost to voting too. If you have transportation challenges, you know, that gets a lot more difficult. And that's one of the things that vote by mail was meant to address. And I think, again, has addressed in a lot of ways. There was a Y2 analytics poll that was done after the last election. And and I think it was 92% of Utahns are satisfied. They like the way that they cast their ballots now. And so I think to tinker with this, like you said, sort of a, a solution looking for a problem. Whenever posture comes up in conversation, we all do that thing where we immediately sit upright and pull our shoulders back. Did you do it just now? I did a movement session with Chandler at Embodied Patients, and after a few gentle corrections, I was surprised to find sitting up straight is incredibly easy. Chandler's practice combines over a decade of study in yoga, Pilates, and the Alexander Technique. So why should you invest in your posture? Let's start with the link between better posture and better breathing. Whether you're returning to activity from an injury, looking to manage pain, or just have the sense things could be a little easier, Chandler will teach you to create sustainable movement habits so that you can enjoy the things you love for longer. Maybe that's running marathons. Maybe it's walking the dog. Visit embodiedpatients.com to book a session with Chandler and give yourself the gift of your own attention. Spring is when leases expire, and if you're looking for a new or better apartment situation, here's the scoop at Ico Fort Union. Fort Union is Ico's newest build in Cottonwood Heights off 1300 East and 6720 South. And as they say in real estate, location, location, location. Ico Fort Union puts you 10 minutes from the mouth of Big Cottonwood Canyon and central to all the Fort Union shops and restaurants. But the complex is located on a dead-end street, so you get peace. Ico Fort Union offers studio, one, two, and three-bedroom apartment homes, plus these very cool three-bedroom work-live apartments. So if you're starting something new, you can live above your business space. Amenities include a pet spa, a spin loft, a bike hub, and EV charging stations. 
and they are signing leases right now. So visit liveatfortunion.com for a tour. The other thing that I don't understand about these bills is that they are being purported by Republicans in the Utah legislature who sailed to victory in their mm-hmm. elections nearly everywhere in this state. Why is this so important to them? <laughs> well, I think because because of, of the way they've drawn the districts, really the only risk they have to their political career is when they have to go to the nominating conventions if they decide to go that route. Mm. The delegates are pose a bigger threat than, you know, a primary election does to them. I think that's a big part of the reason they feel a little bit beholden to the delegates. And a lot of them came out of that process. So they have some loyalty to it. So yeah, they're going to, they're going to keep pushing for this. There's been proposals to change the signature thresholds this session. It's one I didn't write about, but I, you know, you start tinkering with this system that's in place and, and, you know, I guess to their credit, they're not trying to completely undo the signature path to the ballot and and completely undo the way that we're voting this time through. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think they're still kind of trying to undermine those those things that we've put in place that are working well. Yeah. Well, and I think we've talked about like you and I, the messaging campaign around all of these bills at this point. Mm-hmm. So I have to ask you, like, are these going to pass? Well, there's probably about 1,200 bills that gets introduced during the course of a session and probably about 500 of them that pass. This one being sponsored by a Republican and given some of the natural tendencies of this legislature uh, that they've shown this session, I wouldn't bet against it. But, you know, like you mentioned, Lieutenant Governor Henderson and Governor Cox are big proponents of mail-in voting. And so I think, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see them give a little pushback against this one. Yeah. Although it does feel like every legislative session, their power wanes more and more. I like Mm -hmm. have a conspiracy theory that the Utah legislature likes embarrassing Governor Cox. Oh, yeah. And and they like flexing their muscle. And so I used to have a lot of faith in his ability to intervene, but I feel less confidence in it these days. The, The power dynamic between the governor and the legislature has shifted considerably in the last 20, 25 years, and it keeps moving in that direction. They keep taking more power away from the governor, from the courts. They're trying to take some power away from the courts this time taking power away from local government. And so it's just sort of this black hole of of power that they're creating. Yeah. Well, I mean, so whether they pass or not, Mm -hmm. you know, you've labeled these bills anti-democratic. What is the impact of even just having this conversation? I mean, I think it sort of fosters this notion that the system that we have in place is broken somehow, or it's Mm -hmm. unreliable, or that that having more people participate is not necessarily a good thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a a disservice really to, you know, all of the people who have put so much time and effort into making this system one of the best in the country. Uh, And so, you know, I think you keep seeing these attacks on it. Uh, You keep seeing attacks on things like ranked choice voting that has, you know, some potential that we've been piloting in some cities and some cities really liked it when they used it before. They just... There's this tendency, I think, among the legislature and among certain factions in the Republican Party to want to try to retain whatever power they can in as, as small of a group of people as they can. And so, um, you know, and I think, again, that's bad for democracy. Um, I want to ask you about some of the ways that the Utah legislature could increase access to elections, public access to elections, because 
we talk a lot about how great our system is and it is fun to vote by mail and it is pretty easy, but it's still not perfect. So if you had to put forth <laughs> a couple bills, what would you be doing to make voting easier in Utah? Well, one of the big ones I would have done, I guess, but they've already done it, is the instant voter registration, where you can show up mm. at your polling place on election day and get, you know, register and then vote that day. I think that was a, a, a great change. I think what I would like to see is making it easier to go through this signature path, not harder. Huh. Because then you get more people who are able to do it. There's less of a cost of entry at that point. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so this last election, Representative Steve Handy up in Bountiful decided he wasn't going to gather signatures because he didn't want to spend the money on it. Yeah. And he ended up losing at the nominating convention to a pretty, yep. pretty right-wing conservative Republican who had some baggage that, you know, the delegates didn't know about when they voted for him. So I think the easier you can make that path to the ballot, the better. And then you're going to get more people participating who might otherwise not do it. So I think I think that's a big thing. I think that, you know, if if you can open up the opportunities, I guess, for people to vote the way they want to vote. You know, a lot of people like voting in person. I like voting in person. I actually usually go and early vote in person hmm. just because I, I it's it, I'm old fashioned, I guess. But I sort of like yeah. the nostalgia of it, the the, mm -hmm. the ritual of it. So, you know, if you can expand those opportunities and then, you know, make sure that there there's equal distribution of those opportunities around you know, communities, uh, I, I think that would be a very beneficial move. Yeah. One of the fun things about voting in person, too, is just that, like, literally everyone's there. Like, most <laughs> things I do in my life that are in person or where I'm queuing up, mm -hmm. everyone in the line is similar to me in some way, yep. right? Like, yep. my grocery store or, like, a concert or whatever. And, like, voting is the one thing where you're just like, well, this is all of us. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I mean, you, you see you see people who live in your neighborhood that you never get to talk to, you know? So Completely. Uh, and so you have those conversations that the, the polling clerks are always nice, usually older people, people yeah. my age. So, uh, you know, we can talk about our grandkids or whatever. <laughs> totally. This is one of those things that just seems so boring on its face, uh -huh. you know, especially compared to like, you know, issues like the Great Salt Lake or, you know, abortion, yeah. like some of these things that just draw people in instantly. I think the word democracy is starting to lose its appeal. Yeah. for a lot of reasons. Um, why should people be paying close attention to these bills? Because of the way that the legislature is gerrymandered our legislative districts, most of the general elections don't matter. These primary elections do matter a lot. Yeah. And and I think people need to have a, a voice in those elections. You know, it, it's mm -hmm. there's so little that we can do to hold people accountable, to hold our elected officials accountable. And, you know, if they start eroding our ability to even do that, we lose a lot. And I think we're also seeing this trend. We saw it in 2018 with the voter initiatives, right, where the frustration with the legislature in so many ways is leading to this popular democracy idea. And mm -hmm. there's talk about some potential initiatives for the upcoming election and the ability to cast ballots and make those decisions or help make those decisions is really the only lever of power that we've got left. It's the only voice we've got left. And so I think yeah. uh, when they start trying to erode that, I think that's a real problem. You're right. It's not quite as sexy as a lot of the issues up there. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, the feedback that I've got is that people care about it quite a bit, you know, and right. people start tinkering with their only say in their democracy and how their government runs. They get a little irritated by that. Salt Lake Tribune columnist Robert Gerke, thank you for always paying attention. Hey, I'll do my best. Thanks for having me. <laughs> 
Salt Lake City, we are officially in a mayoral election year. And here's a little voting news just for us. It is possible that this year, instead of going through a primary election and then a regular fall election, we will have just one election. And that ballot will be ranked choice, which means you would rank all of your candidates from your first to last preference. In each round of ballot tallying, the candidate with the lowest number of votes is eliminated. But when a voter's number one choice is eliminated, their second choice is included in the count for the second round. So on until the end. Are you following? So basically, the winner is more likely to be someone we can all live with, rather than risking as much of an either-or proposition. The other case for ranked choice voting is that it's a fast, efficient, and cheap way to run an election. Because elections are expensive. So avoiding a primary benefits taxpayers. The decision whether or not to use ranked choice voting this year currently rests with the Salt Lake City Council, and they have until May 1st to make their decision and notify the lieutenant governor's office, because the lieutenant governor runs elections in Utah. Now, at this moment, the likely contenders for SLC mayor are current mayor Aaron Mendenhall and former mayor Rocky Anderson. So if it does end up just being the two of them, it would make ranked choice voting kind of a hilarious and pointless experiment. But either way, I will let you know what the council decides. That's all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Thank you for listening. We will be back tomorrow morning with more from around this city. Bye.